0: Happy Thursday, everyone. It's Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and it's me, Brooke Hammerly. Pop Hello, hello everyone. I cannot believe I'm actually doing this podcast because I am literally stunned that I have power. And I say that because, uh, if it, the wind goes the wrong way where I live in the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles, I am without power. But so far during this storm again, I am one of the neighborhoods that has not been impacted thus far with the power outages. However, I would like to say as a communications professional, I have to credit whoever the storm's publicist is because I feel like the Pineapple Express storm hired the greatest publicist of all times because the press on this storm has gone so far. It's an international headline news story. It's like the king has been diagnosed with cancer and the Hollywood Hills is Falling apart because that's like the headlines I'm hearing. And I'm telling you this in all honesty. I had open heart surgery in 2020 and I wrote about it. I heard from so many people. It got out obviously, my network of friends, everybody reached out. It doesn't even compare to how many people have reached out as a result of the storm because they know not only do I live in Los Angeles, but I live in the Hollywood Hills, which right now is like front and center in the Stormageddon Pineapple Express news story. And I'm hearing from people in Hong Kong, in Australia, in Ireland, all over the world. Are you okay checking in? So many people have reached out in all social media fashions from Instagram to TikTok to emails and DMs and texts. So first and foremost, I am okay. It is crazy in LA. It rained nine inches in the Hollywood Hills on Monday, and I know this because I have a neighbor who had this really big vase thing, like a really tall thing that they then put a tape measure in, and it collected the rain, and it was nine inches. That's that's absurd. It's and that was in one day. It's still raining. But I am in a, in a, my little canyon. I am not in a mudslide. Well, there could be mudslides all around me. My house is sort of protected. I'm not one of these people who have a house on stilts overlooking the canyons. That's just a bridge too far for me. With earthquakes and everything else like that, stilts are not really my comfort zone. So my house is on like solid ground and I am not up against any hillsides, but there have been mudslides. There are houses that have slid down mountains in my area. Roads are closed. Trees have fallen, big trees. We're talking huge trees. I know that in Northern California, I have some friends who had redwood trees fall on their homes. We have these big eucalyptus trees that are the most prone to falling because they're soft and they're not really meant to be here and have all of this weather. But anyway, trees are falling, schools were closed. It's, it's a real thing. And another thing about LA as a New Yorker, I don't understand is there no sewers, like there's sewers, but there's no, the water, there's no drains, I guess, in the roads. So the roads just fill up with water. There's no place for them to go except for those little outputs of sewers that then take the water out to the ocean. But like in New York, you have them all throughout and they have a drainage system. So it's all underground. None of that happens. So streets become rivers, like with any sort of amount of rain. But when you're talking about this much rain, rivers, rivers, there's no place for the water to go. And I live on a hill. So you, it's like the rolling rapids. I I have to pick up my dog and carry him away from the side when I leave my house, because otherwise he would float away. He would be caught up in the roaring rapids. He needs a life vest. He needs to have one of those helmets on him. It's a whole situation. I have not left my house. So if I sound a little manic, it's because I'm a hundred thousand percent stir crazy. My friend Brian was like, Hey, do you want to grab lunch? This was yesterday. And I said, are you out of your mind? It's, it's like the apocalypse outside. What do you mean grab lunch? Like, what are you talking about? And he says, you have a Jeep Wrangler. And I'm like, first of all, like you think I know how to use the four wheel drive in my car. I wouldn't even know, like, is that the little stick in the middle next to my, like where I go from park to drive to reverse, that little stick that says all the things and they're buttons that you press to go into four-wheel drive. You think I actually know how to use use that? Like that's that's going a little mad. I mean, I have a big Jeep, correct? I don't know how to use the Jeep. I have no idea like what that means. I wouldn't know what to do if I got caught in a river or a lake. You know, I have everything in my truck for an emergency, so like... If I, I have a battery that if I lose power, like not an external battery for my devices and stuff, I have bottles of water, I have sneakers, I have all of the things. I have a medical kit. But you want me to like drive in the pouring rain with the hopes of using four-wheel drive? No, no, my friend. No, I might as well be driving a Ferrari. I have no idea how to possibly use it. You can try to teach me. I won't retain it. There's just certain things that are not my skill set. Is I'm above the ground and I'm higher up than other cars, and that's my happy place. But I don't know how to use the functions that an SUV provide me. That's that I need to go to school for that. So no, I did not go meet Brian for lunch, but I also haven't left my house in like 50 hours, and I'm losing my mind. I've only interacted with people via Zoom, and I'm I'm slightly losing my mind. But there you go. In other news, before we get into this week's crazy pop culture topics, I would love to know how many of you are Grey's Anatomy people. I'd never been a Grey's Anatomy person. I missed that whole boat. I mean, I knew it existed, but I never watched the series. I don't even know what year it started. So I'm very well aware of the McDreamy and McSteamy and the premise of the show, but I never was one of those people who watched on a weekly basis or I I never followed the show. And As many of us do, we like to go, now that everything is available, to just sort of like, I'm going to dive into a show that's got lots of seasons. For me, it's the perfect show to work out on. I get on my treadmill. I turn on Grey's Anatomy. I lose myself. So that's me in 2023, 2024. I have started Grey's Anatomy journey. And it's a great journey because there's like 482 seasons. This one goes out to Shawnee Hilton. Some of you know who Shawnee is. She's a dear friend of mine, former executive editor, uh, big senior editor at the LA Times, one of the most incredible human beings. She is a Grey's Anatomy person. And I'm going to give a spoiler, but I feel like this happened 12 years ago. So if you're really going to be upset with me, that's your problem. So yesterday I'm on the treadmill. It's, you know, I need to get my energy out because it's pouring rain. I am literally living in an anxiety mindset. Because my house is safe. I have a new roof. I'm secure there, but I am convinced that any minute somebody's Grand tree is going to fall on me, or some some house from miles away is going to slide down into my house. Like I have all of these irrational, maybe rational fears. So how do I get it out? I sweat it out on the treadmill, and I watch some. You know, yes, it's still a, a hospital drama. So there's some sadness. People die. We know this stuff. But I am in a good rhythm. You have Derek Shepherd, who's McDreamy and Meredith Grey, and they're married, and they have kids, and they had a little bit of a lip in their relationship and he ran off to Washington to run the National Institute of Health and reporting to Barack Obama like these are good things and now he's figured out he's coming home he does not like this long distance relationship it is not good for their marriage he and Meredith reconnect they're about to have talking about having a third child they have Zola and Bailey i'm very invested in this family and i'm on the treadmill and i'm just like look at he just saved people from a car accident everything is good and then motherfucking Derek Shepard dies. He dies. He dies. Meredith Gray is the, like her husband, her, the man she, the entire show is around. He dies. It's not like soap opera death. Like he's not in a coma. He's dead. The the lights are off. The machines go out. The tube is taken out. He's dead. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is not what I signed up for. I am sobbing on the treadmill. I, I have to stop. And to Shawnee, I'm sorry, but this is entirely on her. I text her. I'm like, Derek Shepard fucking dies. What about Zola? What about Bailey? How did their children, like, what are you talking about? How did you not tell me this? She's like, it was 12 years ago or something like that. I, 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 this is, I'm, I'm living this moment many, many years late, a generation late to some people, but this did not help my mental health. I just want everyone to know that I am not okay. I have the potential anxiety of trees falling on me. I still worry about my roof, even though it's brand new, caving in. And now I have to contend with the fact that Zola and Bailey don't have a TV fictional father anymore. It's been very upsetting. I took a Xanax. I mean, I'm telling you, it really spun me out. I was so upset. I had to take a little Xanadu and crawl into my bed after wiping away the tears and thinking about what does it all mean and Life is short and we're all going to die. And that's Shani Hilton's fault. So I just want to say, I'm watching you, Shani. And any of you who are Grey's Anatomy people who did not give me the heads up that this show turns into an absolute tragedy. It's not, oh, and, and on top of it, on top of it, it's playing snow patrols chasing cars. I mean, co- what song doesn't make you cry just, just listening to it. And then in the context of this entire thing happening, the end of an era, Dr. McDreamy being killed stupidly looking for his cell phone while he's doing a U-turn. Like it, it was terrible. They obviously had some sort of falling out on that show, which I'm diving deep in because they did him dirty. They were like, Avita Zane, Dr. Shepard, you are out of here. Like, he has been kicked off the island. It was such a, it was such a horrible way to go and such a, like, stupid way to die that you know he pissed off Shonda Rhimes like there's no question the writers were like let's make this as mortifyingly embarrassing for him as possible like what a waste of a life so there you go I am I'm still coming to terms with that and if I ruined Grey's Anatomy for the two people that haven't seen it I truly apologize and you can blame Shawnee Hilton take it up with her but it did distract me from, from some bad news on the pop culture front. And that is, and some of you can come after me, Swifties come after me, but I, I happen to know the reaction from many of you is in agreement with me. And that is our Taylor, our Tay-Tay, she made a few missteps at the Grammys. There were a couple of missteps. She, uh. This happens, you know, we bring people up to such a point that they just can't stay there. It's not possible. You can't stay at the top of your game and be America's darling forever. Eventually we screw up and come crashing down to earth. But I didn't expect it to happen in this fashion. And I'm certainly not saying Taylor is falling down to earth. I'm not saying that she is now, it's not like she murdered anybody. She's not, her career isn't over by any means, but we did get a little glimpse into the, Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Now, either this has always been who she is and we've just been blinded by, you know, what's her prolific albums and the way she connects with her audience. Um, You know, we do have to remember there was a tide that turned on Taylor pre-COVID when she went through. I mean, there was the Scooter Braun stuff, which, you know, some people say was was not totally honest on her end in terms of the information she had. But even before that, the tides were turning, she was a little too precious. She was displaying all of her relationships quite a bit. She had the, the very overprivileged sort of life being presented via all of the social media and paparazzi. She dated that guy, Tom Hiddleston for a minute. And she had that ill-advised birthday party in Newport where all of her famous friends were and wearing t-shirts that said, I love TS and people just got the ick from it, I think. And it was just like an overexposure and overexposure is a thing. We see that as somebody who advises companies to get their news out there, there is, you know, I have to always remind a client that you can get all the press in the world and be everywhere. And the more you do that, the more likely you are to then sort of fall or somebody comes after you, the more of a spotlight you put on yourself, the more expectations there are. And there are more people who come out of the woodwork to bring you down, criticize all of that. That's, that's the story as old as time. And that could have happened with Taylor, but I didn't anticipate her. Her being the one to make the missteps, and I got a lot of a lot of feedback. A lot of people didn't like her outfit. Who cares? Whatever, it's fine. I mean, I didn't like the look, to be honest. It wasn't her best. But also, it was pouring rain in LA, so everybody looked a little sloppy. I'm not gonna lie. Impossible not to. There is no way to like the the rain was like what I imagine Noah had to deal with with the ark. I'm like, find yourself a unicorn because nobody's getting through this unscathed. But, you know, by now you guys probably are aware there are a couple things that happened. The Grammys were, let me just, I don't like award shows. I watch them out of, I've talked about it. Like the Oscar is so boring. The Globes were a disaster. We watched the Oscars and things like that for the drama to see if like a Will Smith slap of some kind happens again. The Grammys, I don't know what, that team figured it out, but they, I think it was because it was a lot of women, but they figured this shit out. It was the most fun award show I've seen in a long time. And that comes down to not just Trevor Knows, a great host, not just the, the vibe itself of the Grammys. Maybe everybody was sort of feeling a little, I don't know, a little loose because of the rain, but let's be clear, the, the people that were there, I mean, Miley Cyrus I, we're going to talk about Taylor, but let's just quick side note. Miley Cyrus is a true performer. And so she might not be as prolific as Taylor and she's on songwriting and putting out all these albums. But when she presents herself, she knows how to bring a crowd to their feet. She gets people. She connects with her audience in a very different way. She has fun. Like she's the girl that everybody wants to be like at a party with. She's, her body is insane. I don't even know like oh my god she's the cool girl she had four outfit changes she did her song Flowers which was the jam of the year she got everybody fucking on their feet like she ad-libbed some, some lyrics in there and she won her first Grammy and she was just excited she was the girl like we were like yeah girl you had Oprah going for it everybody was just like celebrating and this is a girl we watch grow up these are not usually the stories that end well child star the daughter of a controversial one hit wonder, Billy Ray, who's now since left his wife and married some like 24 year old with one name. She is not a usual success story. Usually those end in tears, but she has turned into this just remarkable talent and fun. And when she got the award, it was by Mariah Carey who presented it. Mariah, obviously legend. And you saw Miley's admiration it went first to oh my god Mariah Carey can we just talk about it she uh, thanks Mariah she is in awe of Mariah she gives a great speech and then thinks about thanks her icons like Dolly Parton and her inspirations like Dolly Parton and Celine Dion important little tidbit um, and other unbelievable women like Whitney Houston and so forth and it was just a joyful thing and Miley was a She was just a joy. That's all I can say. And then you had Tracy Chapman. I mean, can you even? Can you even? I wrote in the newsletter, like Fast Car, that album came out when I was in eighth grade. I was a very awkward eighth grader. I was a very... I did not know who I was. I don't know many people who do, but eighth graders in 1988 were very different than eighth graders in 2024. I'll just say that. But I had a really tumultuous relationship with school And I didn't know I was dyslexic, so I didn't know why that's why math was almost impossible for me. So I had a very disruptive relationship with my parents because like everything was fights. It was always fights about grades or not working hard enough, not applying myself. And I thought I was losing my mind because math to me was like looking at Chinese. I just couldn't do it. And so there would be fights and meltdowns and I would run to my room and slam my door and cry and throw my face into a pillow. And there's sort of core memories that got me through it in that album. I just remember that CD cover so well. And my CD was cracked because I of overuse, not the CD itself, but the cover and the the artwork. And I would take that out and I would put it into my CD player and I would listen to Fast Car. It was her, it was Edie Brickell and Sinead O'Connor. Let me just be clear. You can I should have probably been on anti-anxiety meds or antidepressants in eighth grade. But suffice to say that was my soundtrack. But really, like, it it just is such a powerful song. So I will say when I heard Fast Car on the radio the last year, sung by a country dude, I was sort of taken aback. Luke Combs has has made the cover of it. But, you know, when I hear a cover, the... Intent is generally an artist has their own take on that cover and they do it in their own way. They make it their own and the inspiration is that cover, but they, otherwise you're just a wedding band playing the exact song, right? So if you're a rock star or country star and you do a cover, it's and expected that you take your own spin on it. And there is none of that. Luke Holmes doesn't do anything other than like exactly sing it except as a white man versus a soulful black woman where the meaning is very different. A LGBTQ member, black woman in the eighties, like she had a hundred percent song rights, by the way, to that song, my understanding is. And so when I hear this song, A, I'm elated to hear the song again, but B, it's just like, there's nothing – it's literally the exact song except with a different kind of voice, a white southern boy's voice. So I was sort of annoyed. I I actually thought about, like, what does Tracy think? Like, I'm sure she's making money, but, like, this is weird. And you have an entire generation of people who don't even know who Tracy Chapman is. Like, m- I'm sure so many people who just listening to it don't know that this was a cover song. They think Luke is a genius and wrote this unbelievable song. Not true. So I was – stunned when he came out and he was, you know, they did the interview prior to him coming on stage talking about the inspiration, inspiration, but the, the song and the origins and Tracy Chapman. And I was like, okay, good. Like at least they're, they're setting the record straight. So all of a sudden, I mean, and I know a lot of you feel the same way. All of a sudden this person's on the stage and they're playing and then the light goes on and it's, It's Tracy Chapman. It's Tracy Chapman, but in this moment in time, Tracy Chapman, who, by the way, is the most beautiful and hasn't aged in any way, shape or form, and has this smile on her face. Like the minute that the audience recognized it was her when the light went on and they went fucking nuts – watch it. The little hairs on the back of your neck are going to stand up. It's incredible. And you see the delight in her. And then you see the dude, Luke, like looking over at her, sort of in awe, like, I can't believe I'm on stage with Tracy Chapman. And you realize the whole world is now recognizing this is her song and the joy, the tears, what it meant, the impact of that moment. I can't even express to you. I can't even articulate how many layers, but I'll put it in the show notes. Lydia Paul Green, my dear friend, who is an uh, a, a beautiful writer, an unbelievable journalist, and she's an opinion writer at the New York Times, wrote a blog post about it that I want to put it in, but how meaningful it was, like what it meant. And she shared my sentiment. Like when she heard Luke's song, she's like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is not interesting. This is the exact same song, but in a dude's voice, but the meaning of what it meant, that resurgence of Tracy Chapman and what, what it meant in a divided world to see this, you know, black gay woman from the eighties, you know, era on stage with this good old boy, one imagines country star. It was, it was a really incredible moment. I can't, I can't express enough. So we have those amazing things. And I also put this in the newsletter. I did meet Tracy Chapman once. It was corrected. I put in the newsletter. It was like, I thought it was 99, 2000. It turns out it's 2001. My friend Ethan Kaplan has photos, though I'm not in any of them, which is useless to me. But we found ourselves at Neil Young's house in Half Moon Bay in Northern California, for a bridge school benefit party that he was hosting at his house for all of the artists. So he put together this annual event for bridge school, which is a school for special needs kids. And Neil Young has, has two sons with cerebral palsy. My sister has cerebral palsy. Um, and he had this school and he would do this annual fundraiser at shoreline with like Pearl jam and REM and Tracy Chapman and all these bands every year. It was like unbelievable. Could you imagine? And all the money proceeds went to benefit the bridge school. And I was dating a member of REM at the time, and that's how I knew Ethan, who was the 21-year-old at that time, started the REM fan club and the REM website. It was really cool. And we all went to Neil Young's house, which, by the way, was everything you imagine. And they had TPs where everybody was getting high, and the TPs like, I didn't even understand. And I clearly was a little tipsy because I get I, especially when I was, I was 24, 25, 26, I get, I would drink when I was nervous. I had no business being there. It was all famous people. And Tracy Chapman, Neil Young, I was talking to Tracy and I think my boyfriend and Ethan, and we were introduced and Neil's like, this is Mike's girlfriend, Brooke. I don't remember what kind of dogs, but Neil had very big dogs and I got very nervous. And I was like, Tracy Chapman, I didn't, nobody else made me nervous in that room. It was like no other famous artist made me nervous but Tracy Chapman back to my eighth grade icon and I was talking to her but I was so nervous that I started paying attention to the dog and was like leaning over and petting the dog and making small talk with Tracy Chapman when this gigantic and in my mind it was like a great Pyrenees like this dog was like 800 pounds in my mind it might have been a chihuahua at this point by now but in my mind this dog was 400 pounds The dog like started like tossing me around a little bit, and like I fell down, like I was on my knees now, petting the dog, and then the dog mounted me. I'm not even joking. The dog fucking mounted me and like tried to rape me in front of Tracy Chapman, my boyfriend. They're pulling the dog off. The dog is humping away, and this is all in front of Tracy Chapman. I'll never get over it. She has no memory of it, of course, but I'm sure. But I will never forget the day I met Tracy Chapman when I got like almost raped by Neil Young's dog. So how about that kids moving on? We have Joni Mitchell, Joni fucking Mitchell. Didn't think I was going to cry once. I cried twice. Joni Mitchell playing singing for the first time at the Grammy. She's 80 years old. She's had so many health problems. The fact that this woman is able to be out and about is unbelievable. She sits there with, with, you know, this bevy of amazing artists. She looks so cool, like the cool, vibey Joni Mitchell. She's got her cane and she sings perfectly in this new soulful way. What it means as an 80 year old versus when she was 24, I think when she wrote the song, both sides now, looking at the lyrics, thinking of what that meant, what it means when you're like sort of starting your life and your career and your, your new world towards looking at the back of your life, the end of your life, really. I was sobbing It was so beautiful. It's so meaningful. It also obviously took us all back to Love Actually. I mean, obviously. We were all there. We were all there as Emma was getting that CD. And she's crying. And she took herself to the bedroom to try to hide her emotions from her cheating motherfucker husband and the kids pulling herself together with the British stiff upper lip. And, you know, you remember that scene. That was, we were all that person. So unbelievable. Then you had Jay-Z getting his big award and sort of not having a, a script, but using it as his you know way to defend his wife and to call out the fact that she is the most Grammys without ever saying Beyonce's name, the most Grammys of any artist, but has never won album of the year. It's to my rant, how do you get best picture of the year and not win best director. It's the same argument. I understand what he was saying. It was really funny to watch his daughter being up on stage with him being like, dad, dad, what are you doing? But I've watched Jay's speech more times now. And I actually, I think it's very, it's very human. It's a very dad speech. It's a very protecting my girl. Like it's sexy as fuck. I, I would have loved it had it been more organized and more scripted. But as he said, when he gets nervous, he gets honest. But it would be interesting to know who he was talking about when he said some of the people people don't deserve to be even in their categories. It was a uh, very outspoken and I liked it. Obviously the energy is Taylor Swift's in the room. Taylor Swift's in the room. You had Meryl Streep in the room, which I think everybody was buzzing. The great joke that Trevor Noah made was that the Grammys are going to win an Oscar this year. With like, it was so funny. You had Meryl Streep and she is now, her daughter is married to Mark Ronson. So there's a, There is a connection there. But everybody was buzzing. All the friends that I knew in the room at the Grammys were all saying everybody was coming up to kiss the ring of Meryl. Meryl was like the star. So we see the celebratory. We see the beauty. We see all of that. Here's the Taylor part. Taylor made two missteps, maybe even three. So... Before the Grammys even started, the internet, the Swifties, TikTok was going fucking mad. Something was going to happen. Everybody was convinced that she was going to announce an album at the Grammys. Not only that, everybody was convinced it was going to be her older album, Reputation, that she's not yet remade. So everybody thought it was going to be Reputation TV, which means TV is not like the television. It's Taylor's version. TV no longer means television. Taylor Swift is so powerful that she has remade the term TV means Taylor's version. Think about that. Like when kids hear TV, they hear Taylor's version. They don't hear television. That's the power. If somebody's like, oh, is that the TV? Taylor's version? No, I was talking about a consumer electronic device that has been in existence for a long time, but okay. So she has already caused a sensation by changing her Instagram profile pic to a black and white one. And then all of her little Swifty friends like Blake Lively and Lana Del Rey and anybody else, they've all changed their profile pics on Instagram to black and white. And just... Remember, Taylor has her swift army of friends. That's like she's friends with all these sort of famous girlies and, you know, that's her little world. They all shifted their their profile pics. And then she also changed the grid to where – there was a, and I honestly, I should know this because I don't think it was the Reputation cover, but it was another cover that was like a whole grid picture, meaning that each little picture turned into one big picture. So everybody was convinced by the Easter eggs and codes that this was going to be her announcement. So when she came up on stage for her Grammy, which was the pop song, blah, 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 whatever it was, and it was in the middle of the show, not the not the end of the show. She wins the big award later. First of all, my cynical communication strategic brain and knowing her her publicist is, there's no way that Taylor didn't know she was winning a Grammy in order for her to go. There's just no way. Like, it was predetermined. I also believe that she knew which Grammy she was going to win and when because it was too calculated. So the Grammy that she won, which was not, she was up for album of the year. And album of the year is the last one. And that's the biggest one. And that I would think would have been not the place she would have done this announcement. It was for the lesser sort of smaller award. Not that, I mean, it's still a Grammy, but that turned out to be her 13th. It was also planned. So she comes out on stage, she gets the Grammy and she has this very manufactured and it's not even too, she's not, thanking the group of people. She doesn't acknowledge any of the other nominees. She doesn't connect with the audience. She is speaking directly to her fans that she knows that the people who award the Grammy are, you know, listening to the fans. And so she's giving a gift and a secret that she's kept for two years. Well, just listen. This is my 13th Grammy, which is my lucky number. I don't know if I've ever told you that. Um... I want to say thank you to the members of the Recording Academy for voting this way. Um, But I know that the way that the Recording Academy voted is a direct reflection of the passion of the fans. So I want to say thank you to the fans by telling you a secret that I've been keeping from you for the last two years, which is that my brand new album comes out April 19th. It's called <laughs> It's called The Tortured Poets Department. I'm going to go and post the cover right now backstage. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Okay. So it it feels a little it feels very performed, like memorized, like she very robotic, like she knew what she was doing. This is her 13th Grammy as a gift to you. I'm giving you a secret for two years and I am announcing my new album. And it's so interesting because my friend said that what it felt like, because it's the room full of artists, everybody is there getting, an you know, maybe up for an award, excited for their experiences, all of that. And it felt like she just took the oxygen out of the room and made it all – it's always all about Taylor Swift. The whole music industry this year, the whole cultural zeitgeist has been about Taylor Swift. This is a gathering of artists being celebrated of all genres, of all like new artists and these Joni Mitchells of the world. This is not all about Taylor Swift. This is about the music industry. But Taylor Swift comes in and makes it about Taylor Swift and use it as a free promotional tool to launch her new – very interestingly titled album, the tortured poets department. And as my friend said, it felt like you're, you announced your pregnancy at your sister's wedding. Like you give a speech, you're the bridesmaid, you're the maid of honor and you give a speech and you're like, I just want you to have all to know that I'm pregnant. Like, it's not about you. This is about your sister. This is about your sister's house. This is, you made it about you. That's, I thought was a great analogy, I didn't like it. It felt icky. It felt contrived. It felt self-promotional. It felt tone deaf to the fact that this was a moment to celebrate all these artists that she has taken clearly the oxygen out of the room. She's the biggest selling act by by leaps and bounds. She's made a billion dollars on our tour. She's in every single TV state show now because of the NFL. Her relationship is being, you know, promoted throughout Every single channel. There's not anybody in the world who doesn't know about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. This is a moment for other artists to shine. And it just felt it felt tacky. And as I say, my mother would have said, N-O-K-D, not our kind, dear. It just felt like, God, you could have done this any other way. You didn't need the Grammys to make sure you're going to get press out of this. You could have announced it after the Grammys. You could have announced it the next day. I know she wanted to tie it with her lucky 13. That's her number. But it just felt... It felt like the ick. And I think that everybody, like you could even see it, the reactions from the people in the audience were just sort of like, okay, that was sort of, and it just fell flat. It didn't have the impact and she felt awkward and maybe she felt the vibe. It just, it was the wrong call and she had a way to fix that. But let's just get into the fact that this album, everybody's losing their minds There are many indications that this is going to be another revenge album on an ex, which is her ex-fiance, Joe Alwyn, the English actor. Lots of indicators. One, that it's been two years in the making. That's when she had the breakup. The fact that the breakup is apparently way worse than we ever knew, that it was not as sort of politely, it was sort of ugly. And all the Swifties have told me that She, you know, every time she was with her girlies, everybody would do these mass unfollows of Joe. So there was clearly he wronged her in some way. Also very well documented in an interview series with Joe Alwyn and Paul Meskel and Hot Priest from Fleabag. So The three of them, I guess, have a group chat and they talked about it in this video interview where it was called the Tortured Male Group or the Tortured Male Club or Tortured Men Club. I don't know. One of those variations. So you would think you'd get like something from that. It's a play on that. And then other things that she I'm not going to get into making this all about the Easter eggs, but to all indications as of now, it appears that this is not a new album of sorts. A lot of people thought it was, if it wasn't going to be the Taylor's version of Reputation, it was going to be a rock album. And it it still may be, apparently Florence and the Machine is going to be on it. Maybe Lana Del Rey again. She brought Lana Del Rey to the Grammys with her and on stage, but people were expecting like a rock album. But the artwork indicates as my friend who is the biggest Swifties was so disappointed with the artwork that was announced when she posted the... Album cover or whatnot on her Instagram at the Grammys. She said, it feels like urban outfitters meets American apparel. I mean, that, there is no, that is, that's from her number one fan. I mean, that is. That is dark. And I just think that nobody wants, everybody's looking at the Taylor now and this joyful, she's in this beautiful relationship. Everybody's celebrating and rooting for her. This is a different kind of relationship we've seen her have. You know, everybody's following it. We've been there from almost the beginning where he talked about having a crush on her on the podcast and it's all unfolded in the public eye. Obviously not everything, but you know, we're all rooting. Everybody's, I mean, even the fucking Japanese embassy issued a statement this past week, a ensuring everyone that no worries taylor will be able to get from tokyo to vegas to see her boyfriend play in the super bowl so everybody's invested people are rooting for her nobody then wants to see a bitter breakup album again destroying a guy who's already been destroyed let's just be clear this guy joe i feel bad but he's irrelevant right now he's been wiped away the swifties have destroyed him he has to rebuild his probably trust level in life like it's a lot it's hard even tom hiddleston still paying the price like it's hard So I didn't like it. I don't like it. And we don't know. But Taylor generally does not mislead her fans this way. So all of the indicators are. Now, maybe she'll have to change it. I don't know. But to me, it was just icky. And then the final faux pas, which is the way to call it. And I don't care. There has been some people older fans of hers who've come after me, not the younger fans, the younger fans all agree, but some of the older fans were like, you're, you're wrong on this. She wins the album of the year. Now, the big issue here, the big thing is that the person who comes out and shocks the world is Celine Dion. And the reason it's shocking is Celine Dion, who is our favorite weirdo, unbelievable singer, has the she's everything. She's iconic. She's a legend, a living legend, has had to very tragically stop singing and performing and being in the public eye because she suffers from a very rare and horrible disease coined the stiff man syndrome, where basically all of her muscles stop working. And eventually, I mean, it, it feels like a little bit like Lou Gehrig's, like her heart won't work her ability to breathe or swallow or blink or anything, this will all start to take effect and there's no cure. And we've heard reports like even from her own family that came out and said that it's, it's rapidly progressing. She's not doing well. So unbelievable to see Celine Dion, who everybody sort of imagines is, is home in a hospital bed coming out, looking glorious, gorgeous, having a coat over a dress, which there might be some medical reason for that, who knows, to present the award you know, to one of the artists and all of them legendary artists that had an unbelievable album this year. And inevitably it went, to Taylor Swift. And Taylor comes up on stage. This is after she's already used this moment, the previous moment to announce her album. She comes up on stage. It's like kissing other people and takes the award from Celine and goes onto the podium. She does not like thank Celine. She doesn't like bow to her. She doesn't hug her. Now, some of these older fans have said to me, my understanding is everybody was told not to touch Celine because of her illness. Well, first of all, There are many other ways to pay homage to her by not touching her. She could have bowed to her. She could have curtsied. She could have put her hands together in prayer. She could have gotten to the microphone and said, can we please have a hand for Celine Dion? Oh my God, this legend. Just like Miley did with Mariah. There's so many ways Taylor could have handled it. Like, oh my God, Celine Dion, I can't believe this. I don't deserve, I'm not worthy. Like something that was sort of, you know, real and human and fan girl, and not like she just came out like a bulldozer, acting like Celine Dion was just a presenter, some like random person coming out to give her an award. And she doesn't acknowledge Celine Dion in her speech. She doesn't acknowledge her in any way. And I will tell you, it did not go unnoticed. People erupted. And, you know, I don't care if she didn't hug her. That's fine. But there are so many other ways. And this woman is a pro. You can't tell me, oh, she was so surprised and blown away. She lost her ability to think. It just gave us a glimpse into maybe... Maybe she's become so famous and so big that there's no self-awareness now. And that does happen. And that's a shame. But I will say her publicist, who might also be the publicist for Pineapple Express Storm, because her publicist is amazing, Tree Payne, probably the greatest publicist we've seen. She clearly clocked what was happening, probably saw it with her own eyes, but then saw the social reactions within a second before she even got off the stage thanking, you know, her team for the award. And she made sure there was a photo op of Taylor throwing her arms around Celine. So those rules are gone. Clearly she was allowed to touch Celine and thanking Celine. Like there was clear, a photo op that went everywhere that was released everywhere of her holding Celine as they're walking off stage in the or in the backstage after the Grammy award. So there was definitely a, and I can tell you this, I am in PR. I absolutely know what that is. There is, it was strategic. It was absolutely contrived. It needed to happen and it was purposeful. It was released everywhere and it wasn't enough because the mistakes were happening and it showed the sort of first instincts of Taylor were not gratitude or thinking of others in both these situations. It was thinking about Taylor and it was thinking about granted her fans. Sure. But it was thinking about Taylor and it was just I have to tell you all of the people I know who love her. And this is not to say she's not an incredible performer. And this is not to say this isn't recoverable, but it was just a kink in the armor that we all have to sort of pay attention to and realize that she's still human. She's not infallible, but I do think that like, you know, Oprah, Oprah had this happen, right? Oprah does some out of touch things. Like, Oprah's our girl. We love Oprah, but she does some of these out of touch things now because money and power can, and, you know, sort of corrupt your brain and you lose that self awareness and you lose that ability to connect with sort of like what's what's real. Miley hasn't lost that yet. That's what's like the the juxtaposition of Miley and Taylor on that night were just were just profound to me. And that's why people are sort of gravitating and rooting for Miley cuz she was so just sort of in the interest like I think this is my mom and all of you people got me here and all of this and I won my first grammy and oh my god and her song is a revenge song, a revenge song on her ex. Like she is not hiding it, but it's done in a way that people were brought into it as opposed to feeling ick. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? So that is my rant. I have talked for like 500 minutes about this. There were so many other pop culture things that happened, but I'm not going to get into it because we just, I cannot sit here for three hours. Let me know your thoughts. I love you, Taylor Swift. I am going to see you in Europe. I am still rooting for you. I hope this album turns out to be something different than... We anticipate right now, Um, but only time will tell. It's coming April 19th. April 19th. I mean, this woman writes albums. In a way that's like, I don't give us a minute. Like, how much it's prolific. It's like, I don't know how she does it. It's insane. So, I will be turning 50 at the end of April and having my birthday party in Jamaica. And we'll just see if it's a kind of album that's going to be played a lot because I'm going to have a lot of music playing at my birthday, you can imagine. And um, I'd like to see if this one makes the cut. I assume lots of other Taylor Swift songs will be playing throughout my birthday party, but, uh, I don't know about this new album. We will find out soon enough. So that's it. My little ones make out Mary mute. So I am 1000% making out with Lana Del Rey. I love her. She's a secret weapon in many places. Lana Del Rey deserves to be an icon. She is I don't know if you guys, if you're not familiar with her music, like Gods and Monsters is like my theme song, which is pretty dark. If you listen to the lyrics, let's be clear. Um, If you want to know my psychology, listen to Gods and Monsters. It's the greatest song of all time. I listen to it all the time. As my friend Melissa Zuckerman says, it explains a lot about me, but Lana Del Rey. I love her. I love her style. I love her look. I love her attitude. I love her talent. I love her not giving a fuck. I love her popping up in unexpected places. I love Lana Del Rey. I'll make out with her all day long. Marry, obviously, I want to marry Miley Cyrus. I 100% do. And I want to be like Miley's mom's daughter in law. I want that whole family experience except for Billy Ray. I, I love her. I want to marry Miley's closet. I want to marry Miley so I could have her diet and exercise routine implanted into me so I could even have half that body. That thing is insane. It's not of this world. I, w- I want to marry Miley Cyrus. So there you go. And I want to mute all of the politicians. Like, I don't even care anymore if you're a Democrat or Republican. Like, that congressional hearing with the CEOs of the tech companies, I'm still, I'm still not okay from it. I'm not okay with the yada, yada, yada. I'm not okay with the xenophobia, the racism. To make me feel sorry for Mark Zuckerberg Evan Spiegel, the CEO of TikTok, and even Linda goddamn Yaccarino, you make me feel empathy for them? Fuck you. Like that is a bridge too far as well. I don't want to feel sorry for those guys, but they were, they were being attacked and things that had no business. That's not why they were there. They were there to talk about child safety. And these guys made it a spectacle, spectacular for themselves to use for their fucking TV ads. So I mute them. And that is it. I'll see you guys next Thursday. Top Culture